Hello and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by YYZ Translations. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Translation Company Talk podcast show. I'm Sultan Ghaznawi, your host, and today we are going to be talking about sales and small to mid-sized language service companies. This is a topic of great interest for all our listeners as they are trying to grow their businesses and eager to learn the best ways to increase their sales. My guest today is Francesco Pagano. He is the president of Interpreters and Translators, Inc., a Hartford, Connecticut-based language services company which was established in 1986 and provides a broad range of language solutions to customers throughout the United States and the Caribbean. Francesco has extensive experience in the areas of sales and executive leadership, and he has received his education from several respected business schools, including Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University, Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth, and the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. He has also literally spent his entire life in and around the language services industry. Welcome to the Translation Company Talk, Francesco. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. All right. So as I always do, let me start by asking you about how you got into the industry. I love these stories uh, about how people got started either by accident or by design. By accident or by design. Yeah. A little bit of both, actually. (laughs) All right, tell us. A little bit of both. So yeah, actually, uh, so my mom started the company back in 1986. And prior to starting this company, she spent over 15 years in uh, in Connecticut judicial system, uh, where she served as she served as an interpreter herself, Spanish interpreter, um, and what they called at the time a chief court interpreter. She wound up becoming the chief court interpreter, where she ran the interpreter services division of the court system statewide throughout Connecticut. So that's how the company got started. I mean, when she started the company, I was about five years old. I remember being in her office, which was at our house a lot. And I always, always had a really keen interest in what she was doing. It also helped that the first computer that we had in the house was in the office. So I was always in fact <laughs> with computers from very early age. So played around with that a lot and, and spent a lot of time in the office. So I started actually, I really started working with her 12, 13 years old. At the time I was doing a lot of transcription work for her. I remember she bought me a typing, a typing program that I learned how to type. And at 13 years old, I wound up typing 75 words a minute. When I got to typing that many words a minute, she said, hey, I have these audio cassettes that need to be transcribed. Do you want to give it a go? And, (laughs) (laughs) And literally, that's how it all started. I had a blast for a couple of years after school doing transcription work in English. And, you know, when we came across other languages that were part of the audio, I would just leave that part blank. And once I was done transcribing all the English, I would call our local interpreters at the time, drop those tapes off to fill in the blanks, basically, for the, uh, for the other language. So that's how I got the start in the industry. And I've really never looked back. I've always had a really keen interest in the industry. So you literally grew up in this industry, basically, from early childhood. I literally have spent almost my entire life in this industry in one way, shape or form, far before I even realized 
what an industry was and that there was an industry around this business. world of languages. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this business. Exactly. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You, you are a true veteran of this industry. I mean, tell me some exciting stories that you've seen over the years. You know, this is how I think a good conversation should start. That's a that's a good question. I mean, there's so many stories. This this industry is interesting because as proactive as we try to make this industry with getting in front of clients or building databases of linguists and things like that, there's a huge component, especially when you're working in the interpreting world. Which is, right. which is where our company started. Big part of that is reacting to requests, right? You get a request, you know, at the, in the, in the early stages, my mom was a Spanish interpreter. So, you know, a lot of times she was taking those Spanish assignments and going out doing the work herself as an interpreter. That's, that's where her skill set was. That's where her experience was. So she, she would take those, but you know, there was times in the early days, late eighties, early nineties, where we would get a call and my mom was out in an interpreting assignment. I would actually take the call, just the phone rang. I picked it up. There was a request for a Haitian Creole interpreter. And I would say, I would look through our small list at the time, call the few people that we had. There was nobody that was available for this particular assignment and be for the very next day, 10 o'clock in the morning, naturally. It's not even like a late afternoon type of thing. So those are the stories that really stick out to me was the times where, you know, a client calls and it's, you know, you take the request, you say, yes, absolutely. We can, we can definitely make that happen and forward to serving you. You know, you just jump into reactive mode and, you know, you, at the time you pick up the yellow pages, there was no Google, there was no internet. There was no search engine. So you just kind of go through your existing database. You ask for referrals. You open up the yellow pages. You start looking for religious organizations, restaurants, or, you know, <laughs> any, any way to tap into that Haitian Creole community or that Vietnamese community and start networking through the phone because there was no other way to do it. At the time, I was too young. I couldn't even hop in the car and, and, and go to where those communities were. So those are the stories that really stick out to me. And uh, I really do. I think about those all the time as I sit back and look at where we're at today. And it was always really interesting, but you just jump into firefighting mode immediately and come up with a solution. You come up with a way to make it happen. And at the end of the day, hopefully by the end of the next day, you have a happy client that calls you again. <laughs> well, that's how you measure success. If you're able to deliver, I guess. <laughs> right, right. Really, really good metric, right? A metric of delivery. <laughs> uh, absolutely. How have things changed? You just alluded to the fact that things have changed a lot since then. I mean, technology is now playing an extremely important role in our businesses. How did you see this evolution happen? from everything being done man manually to now automation, technology, and so forth. Is it exciting? It's very exciting. I mean, especially this industry, you know, it's like this industry, this is, a, it's an interesting evolution, I think, because personally, when I'm out there talking to people about this, about this industry, it always inevitably comes up what I do for a living and just inevitably comes up. So, you know, I usually tell people that I, I work in the oldest industry known to man that nobody knows about. Right. <laughs> Yeah, you because know, the way I look at it, when you when you think about it, the language industry has probably been around since the very beginning of mankind, right? Um, at least the invention of language, whenever that happened. At least the invention of language. You know, so when you take that angle and you think about it that far back, this industry has been evolving alongside mankind for probably tens of thousands of years for all I know. It's definitely been evolving alongside mankind. I think that if we're talking about 
the short term, and maybe we're talking about the last 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, then we, we may be thinking more about the way other industries have transformed. You know, other industries are relying more and more on technology, using communication tools. Originally, it was the phone, and then, you know, slowly but surely, fax machines came into play, chat, text messaging, cell phones, you know, video. So the market has evolved tremendously, and our industry has had to evolve with those changes from the other industries, whether you're talking translation, interpretation, uh, you know, anything that needs to go from one language to the next, anybody that's selling something or serving a local population and there's a language barrier, there's a solution to be had. There's a need for a solution. So I just, I find it extremely fascinating, especially over the last probably 10 years or so, 10, 15 years with the delivery of interpreter services in particular and the introduction of video remote interpreting most recently right. to the mix, remote simultaneous interpreting. It's like there is no shortage of solutions that are needed and there's no shortage of tools that are out there to make it happen. So it's very exciting, very, very exciting. As proactive as we try to make this industry, there's always a new problem on the client side that comes across that you just have to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and create value. And create value, yeah. Come up with a way to do it. Absolutely. Let's uh, shift gears and talk about the main topic of conversation today, which is sales in the translation industry. And, and this is an area that you have learned uh, hands-on, basically. Your company has a well-established sales process and sales teams in place. Tell me about that, if you will. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, the sales process is, you know, it's one of those things that's evolving just like everything else. You know, you have a process today and then a client throws a curveball and constantly iterating that process. Um, but yeah, we do, we do have an established sales team. It's, uh, it's taken a long, long time, I guess, to, uh, to get there, but we do have an established sales team and we do have a process. Like I said, the process is constantly changing. It really depends on, you know, who the buyer is. You know, I, I really like to think of sales as, as a game. If it's not fun, it's not worth doing. I like to have fun in my life. So if I think of business, I think of sales as a big game. I think a lot of people think that sales and the, and, and the process is, is all about relationships. And I think that that's definitely true to a certain extent. Right. Um, but I also know, you know, there's a lot of people with relationships that still can't necessarily get business from the contacts that they have. So it's hard, but it's really more about asking the right questions, identifying pain points, for clients, a lot of times they'll, they'll say that they have no pain points or, you know, they have an existing provider that, that they work with. Um, and you start kind of asking questions around, around that. Eventually you'll get some pain points out of people. But I think that it's really about getting to the right people and uh, fostering those conversations and having that back and forth, you know, whether it be in-person meetings or video calls or whatever, phone calls. I mean, I think that there's a lot to be said for the process and really just constantly keeping people motivated to continue making calls and making contacts and, and touch points. That's very well said. And, and again, no sales organization functions without people. How do you find your sales heroes, these people? How do you qualify them and, and make them do their work at their best? Finding good people, especially in sales, you know, I think it really all starts with clarity, part of the owner or the manager, um, you know, the, the target market. Because, you know, once you get that clarity as far as what it is that somebody's going to be selling, there's a lot of really great salespeople out there, but you really have to give them really defined direction. 
So it all starts there in my mind. Um, obviously, there's there's lots of reviewing of resumes. I haven't come across a ton of salespeople within the industry. A lot of times, most of us are hiring salespeople from outside the industry and kind of making the making the case for the huge market that exists here within our industry. I think obviously reviewing tons of resumes, taking a tiered uh, interview process approach as far as you know having multiple people within the organization interviewing people we happen to do some um, some personality assessments we use the disc assessment um, to identify motivators and behaviors so that's a really key part of the of the process for us are you familiar with that process the disc uh, i'm i'm not i have to admit i'm i'm not familiar with it Okay. So it's an um, interesting process that kind of really kind of zeroes in on the personality type, the, the, the behavior. So it's not necessarily, it's not really a personality test, but it, it's it identifies, it's, it's a little bit of a predictor. Yeah. As far as what the behaviors are um, of certain people. So with sales, obviously you want somebody that's, that's really outgoing, that can keep a conversation going, that can, you know, engage people is, is likable. Um, you know, so there, there are, there are indicators, um, that you can actually measure, um, to, to find out if somebody's going to be a good candidate within the sales world. Um, and, and, and that helps. Um, another thing that we do is we, um, we go through another, uh, another process where, uh, you obviously have to have a job description, and that may be obvious. It may not be obvious to some, um, but having a very clear job description is very key. And what we do is we wind up using those job descriptions to benchmark out the job. So once we do the behavioral assessment and we identify that that's somebody that would be um, that has the right behaviors and the right motivators to be a good salesperson, we'll benchmark them against the job. And what that does is it just kind of builds out a little bit of a gap analysis. So you can see who is good in those roles and what the gap is and, and what gap you need to close. If you decide to go with that person and, and hire them, are they better at managing existing business, existing accounts, or are they going to be that hunter and, and go out there and, and get new business and kind of build on the, on the business that you have? We use a lot of different tools like that in the interview process. And I find that investing in those tools and in that process up front sets people up for more success. Um, not only does it set the people up for more success, but it sets the company up for more success as well. Turnover is expensive when you have to of continually course, yeah. hire new people. There's, there's always a learning curve of, uh, of salespeople. Um, and you have to, you can't expect results immediately. There's a curve and there's, you know, typically a good six to nine month investment that the company has to make and, and put a lot of time and energy into training the people to target the types of accounts that, that you're looking for. So again, having that clarity up front with exactly what, uh, what you want, the more direction you can give a salesperson, the more you're going to get what you want. The less direction you give them, they may just wind up going out there and trying to find any opportunity they possibly can, which can potentially carve out a different path and have your business go in, in different directions. Which is something you may not want from the beginning if you don't have that structure in place. Right. All right. So let's talk about managing these sales teams. As an executive or a leader of an organization that's agile and responsive to the changing market dynamics, as you mentioned earlier, how do you manage your sales team? 
quite simply, I don't actually manage the sales team. I'm fortunate enough to have an, a, an amazing VP of sales and people operations, and she handles a majority of that. So <laughs> you're lucky. So <laughs> I don't actually manage the team, but we do, we obviously manage the sales team and give them direction. So, you know, a lot of that, a lot of that is driven by growth, annual growth goals that are set the way that we operate. And, you know, we, we look at our, our business and, you know, we project out for the following year and say, okay, well, how much growth are we looking for? What's the revenue goals that we're looking to hit? And, you know, we break that out quarter by quarter, month by month. And then we, we wind up setting the goals by segment. So we, we look at different verticals, different industries. So, you know, government may be one industry, um, healthcare may be another industry, and we have some other verticals that we, that we go after. So what we've done is we've kind of structured our, our sales team across different verticals. Uh, so they kind of become experts in selling to a particular vertical. You know, I think when you're selling to the government, uh, state government, federal government, even between those two, there's a lot of times there's a different sales process for selling the state government versus federal government. And then when you look at other industries across the board, a lot of these different industries buy things differently. Um, sometimes they buy by committee. Sometimes it's, you know, one person that makes a decision on a small project. Now, do you have a marketing team that feeds leads to your sales team? Uh, how do you perform your sale, your marketing? We do. Yeah. So we have built up quite a good marketing team over the last few years. So, you know, we, we generate a lot of content. So we look at, you know, we look at the different industries that we're selling to and, you know, some of the solutions and, and things that they're, that we know that their needs are typical, you know, social media, newsletters, Google AdWords, and Bing, uh, paid advertisements, just all those traditional, uh, marketing channels that, that we are constantly working, um, you know, social media, you have to be posting a lot. But what I find, um, historically, what I've found is that the trade shows are, are really good avenues to meet people in person. Now, that's, 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 obviously one of the, that's obviously one of the things that's evolved very rapidly across the entire world in the past few months. Um, I expect that, that, that we'll get back to that at some point. But with what we're dealing with these past few months, obviously all events and all trade shows have changed. So that's definitely caused us to, to pivot and really not look at trade shows and events um, too much anymore. So it, it's still, it still is. And I think that, you know, when you get into the virtual events, um, there's still a lot of ways to do it. And I think, I think these virtual events are, are, are turning out to be pretty, pretty well run. And um, in some cases you kind of, have an opportunity to get a little bit more FaceTime, even though it's virtually with the people that you're trying to get to. So I have seen that the marketing again, marketing kind of follows sales as far as, you know, marketing to industry by industry. There's a lot of email blasts, email newsletters. Yeah. A lot of that, a lot of that, a lot of that works out really well. And it, it, it comes from the marketing team. There's a, there's a big creative team behind it. So branding is a big part of that as well. So making sure that, you know, everything is, everything is branded and it takes, it takes a lot of work, but they, they do, they do a good job between the, the graphics people and the, and the content is, is very important. So there's, it obviously takes a lot of time um, to do the research and, and within the industries and, you know, potentially 
been interviewing clients, interviewing end users out in the field and, you know, just putting together valuable content. Absolutely. How do you develop that um, uh, that harmony between marketing and sales so that your marketing generates the right type of leads for your salespeople to go and, you know, both of them making each other's lives easier? That's, a, that's another million dollar question <laughs> right there. Right? <laughs> I think the key is to put them together and have them working together on who their targets are, constantly soliciting feedback from each other, making sure that that they're on the same page. You know, a lot of times, you know, sales will get leads from marketing and it's like, oh, these leads are no good. You know, if the leads are no good and there's no communication between the sales team and the marketing team, how would you ever expect those leads to get any better? They can't. You have to build in communication strategies between the sales and marketing team. They have to be working together. You know, if there's a certain marketing campaign that's going out, it's not up to the marketing team to just pull the campaign together and then shoot the campaign out. But running that campaign by the salespeople or the specific sales team that's that this campaign is supposed to benefit run it by them first, you know? So a lot of times we'll just, we'll bring both teams together and say, Hey, look, this is, this is the campaign that we're, that we're launching. There's, there's a, there's a culmination of email blasts. There's a culmination of social media posts. There's a calling campaign. So they, you know, they'll work on that collaboratively. That's just, that's the only way to make it work. That's really the only way to make it work is that they have to work together and they have to work together well. So kind of going back to what we were saying before is that, you know, you have to find the right people. Finding the right people is is 90% of the battle once you find the right people and they understand each other uh, and they work well together. That's that's when you start getting, you know, that harmony. Of course. And and sales is, uh, you know, well, marketing is the start, but sales actually starts the actual formal relationship with the client. What is your process to keep that client engaged and profitable over time? Sales, a lot of times, is the start of the relationship. I think that when you have, obviously, you have to get to a certain point where um, where you kind of have this multi-tiered approach. Sales starts the relationship. Operations has just as much to do with the sales process as as sales does. Sales maintains the relationship, but every touch point, once, once a client becomes a client, they're typically dealing with, you know, they're typically dealing with the operations team, whether it's project managers or uh, scheduling coordinators or operators in the in the call centers. Everybody has a a big role to play in keeping the customers happy. And you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about the difference between reactive and and proactive business. A lot of times we're reacting to requests, and a lot of times you'll get, you know your foot in the door will be a small project for a big company that you know there's a lot more business in that company than than that one small project. So, you know, you take that project, you react to it, you deliver a, a, a high quality product, you keep the client engaged in the quality of that product to make sure that it's it's to the quality level that, that they expect. And you just keep following up. So we use a metric across the company called Net Promoter Score. It's basically, it's just a way to measure client satisfaction. So if clients are are satisfied with our service, you know, we're constantly surveying them. Surveys are great tools to measure measure client satisfaction and, and client engagement. Again, very similar to how marketing and sales work together. Sales has to work with 
operations to kind of get that feedback. Because a lot of times a salesperson will bring in business and then next thing you know, six months later, potentially the salesperson hasn't even really talked to them because the requests just keep coming in through operations. So the salesperson having that open channel of communication between sales and the and the operations team is very important too because the operations team learns a lot about the clients once they actually become a client. They get very intimate with the content that they're translating or the subject matter of the assignments that they're providing interpreters for. So, you know, operations gets very intimate with all the details of what sales is selling. And sales is kind of removed from that process once they're once they're in once they're in as a client. So unless they're proactively reaching out to operations and having conversations with, with what types of projects and, and, and assignments are happening, they're gonna lose track of it. They're they're definitely going to lose track of it. So account management is is definitely a very important um, piece of the pie, and just kind of having you know having the sales team following up with the client on a more consistent basis, making sure the client's happy both externally and internally. What you're telling me is that sales is not a function of just a sales organization. It's a responsibility that gets shifted between different people within the organization as, as the client moves from different into different phases of the relationship. Correct. Okay. I, I definitely, definitely feel strongly about that. And do you find it, you just mentioned it, do you find it helpful to employ account managers for clients that you want to keep, that you want to nurture over time? How does your account management try to keep the relationship growing with such clients horizontally and vertically? I find it extremely helpful to to have account managers that are kind of keeping the finger on the pulse with what the clients are doing. And the way that that happens, I mean, they, they should have, they obviously should have access to some sort of database, some sort of, you know, CRM relationship management software that they can kind of keep historical notes on um on the client i do find that that the account managers definitely play a key role the the account managers are kind of like the glue right they're they're the glue that kind of holds holds everything together with the client they're the ones that are following up you know a lot of times if if the clients have an issue they're not necessarily going to tell the the team that's delivering the the translation project or that you know, delivered the interpreter. So the account manager is absolutely the glue that keeps it all together and, and kind of is the client advocate, is the advocate for the client internally within our organization. So how do they how do they keep that relationship growing? It, it's really just, you know, by constantly keeping in touch with them, making sure that, that they're happy, building that relationship, knowing, getting on a personal level with them that that makes that makes a world of a difference and you know when there is that good relationship that's where the relationship really comes in is keeping them as a client staying on top of them kind of forecasting what what the needs are or forecasting how the contracting is working understanding if that client you may have a great relationship with one person in an organization but asking those people for referrals asking that one person for a referral to a colleague that may have some kind of project going on overseas and, and may need language services. That's a big thing. Um, and growing those clients, like you said, horizontally, vertically, you know, every organization has multiple departments, especially when you're talking about the, the you know, the Fortune 100, Fortune 500. Almost every department needs these services. So, you know, when you get that foot in the door with, with one use case, it's looking within that organization and building that 
that resume, that experience working with that client to expand that across multiple departments. You know, HR may have a need today, but then the marketing team may, may have a need tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, it's up to them to keep that relationship growing and, and, and going and getting those internal referrals. That's, that's more, a really good point. Yeah. The more, the more that that happens, that's another piece where it's very important for the account managers who are the glue to communicate back with the marketing department, to communicate back with the operations department and just kind of share those insights and share that knowledge within the organization so that when different types of projects come up or different types of assignments come up, the operations team is ready for to serve a different part of that organization. You mentioned something important. You mentioned about keeping notes and information on accounts and clients. CRM is a good tool. What other sales tools do you use to help you um, carry out your sales and account management? With with regards to the actual CRM tool or... In, in general, like what type of tools do you use for sales? I'm, I'm guessing there's a CRM, there is, um, I don't know, some sort of, um, you know, a, a sales automation tool that you probably also use at some point. So are there specific technology tools that you're using? Yeah, so we use we use a, um, a CRM called Zoho and there's there's a lot of different there's a lot of different tools out there I mean obviously there's the salesforce.com the Microsoft Dynamics um, CRM is very important to have some sort of central database uh, what I've found over the years is that the hardest part is integration with the rest of the company you know we in our translation department we use project management tools and cat tools and in our interpreting department we use you know scheduling tools so the hardest part about that is kind of keeping a centralized centralized and, and synced up databases across these different departments you know linkedin is a great tool all these social media tools out there the video tools like google hangouts google meet zoom we use any any and every tool that we possibly can and a lot of times we're reacting to the tools that our our clients use um, as well. But yeah, I mean, I think that there's there's definitely a lot of tools out there, but to actually help the sales process, you know, the it's it's the, the typical email tools, whether it's constant contact or, you know, any of these other ones, but specific tools, I'm, I'm a huge fan. To me, the best tool in the world is a telephone. <laughs> <laughs> it's simple. It's simple. It's simple. You know, you, you pick up the phone, you call people, you talk to them. There's all sorts of, you know, techniques employed. There's all there's all types of tools that, that people try to get all fancy with. I think, I don't think anything in the world replaces uh, the personal touch, the, the phone call. You know, I, I, I really try to steer people away from even using email. And that's not even just in a sales in a sales role. It's also internally. It's so much easier sometimes to just send an email to to tell somebody something. But then three days later, and fifteen emails later, five minute conversation could have accomplished that. Um, so, to me, the most important tool in the world is a phone or you know video. If you can get video with clients, that's great too. But I really think the the phone, just picking up the phone, having conversations with people. People like people, 
and you know they like to have conversations and if they don't it makes it a lot more difficult to build a relationship (laughs) absolutely absolutely no that's a very good point actually um uh, telephone is still the king when it comes to communication so but not enough of us are using it and we've become so fancy with social media and everything so yeah i mean i really think that that's one of the most underestimated underutilized tool that we can that that we can possibly have i mean people are getting inundated with emails and even on your your cell phone right notification after notification after notification and i don't know if it's that just people are shy or or that they they assume which is probably one of the worst things you could do especially in a sales position is just assume that people don't want to talk to you people are shocked when they get a phone call like if they put their contact information into your website and you have an email and you have a phone number pick up the phone and 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 leave them a message and then follow up with an email letting them know that you left them a message but then call them (laughs) (laughs) i can't tell you the amount of people that and i hear this from my sales team all the time is like i i spoke to a lead that came in off the website and they were shocked that I picked up the phone and called them and we actually had a conversation. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that in the last six months. <laughs> well, that's so true, actually. If you think about it, most people use their phones, which was supposed to be a telephony device to let people talk through voice. They, they use it probably 90% for data and 10% for voice now. Like the number of calls going out of their phones is maybe a couple times a day. And, and that's astonishing. That that means that a lot of people are deprived of, uh, deprived of the that, that human touch, as you just mentioned. It's so, amazing. Absolutely. Let's change gears and talk about um, the techniques for uh, translation sales, I guess. What works and what doesn't. We've seen all kinds of gimmicky and spammy techniques employed, especially during COVID. You know, people are also adding uh, all kinds of things. Oh, buy translation for me. I'll also send you some PPE and masks and stuff. So tell me how you prospect. <laughs> that's a good one. I, <laughs> that's a good one. I have not seen that one yet, but... Oh, oh it's uh, a popular one. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. Yeah, buy, a, me, buy a translation from me and I'll send you five free masks. <laughs> it, it did happen. I did get those emails and a few other people got it too, so... Um, it's interesting how how they were trying to you know make things gimmicky. Tell me how you prospect and how you portray a honest, transparent, and professional image that ref- that's reflective of of your services and your all, overall philosophy within the organization. This is a really good question. This is a question that really kind of goes back to values and behaviors, much more of the the softer, harder to measure skills and 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 things that that we do as companies. Um, I think having having your your sales team, your operations team, your whole company in line with values is is a very very important piece of the pie. And I don't think that I don't think that we should be trying to portray anything that's not true. So, you know, I think that when you know being honest with people with your capabilities. And, you know, what the company can really do for, uh, for the prospects, for the clients is, is very, very important. I think it is very 
important not oversell where you get yourself in a jam because you can really damage your reputation if you don't deliver so we don't we really don't employ those sort of techniques i mean we that's one place where we kind of stick to the the old school mentality and just have real conversations with real people we're really 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 big on that you know there's on the technique side i mean there's a lot of different sales methodologies out there i mean you can pick up you know any any book and get get those techniques i've never really been a, a huge fan of of some of those but we don't really employ any not that i'm aware of we don't really employ any out of the norm or any any real techniques i'm not really sure what we do what what works what doesn't i mean we we're just very real we're very real we we have a, a set of values we have a set of behaviors within our organization that we expect everybody to um to work with so i think what what we talk about the most is a consistent experience across the company and being genuine i guess and and just being genuine yeah being genuine to what what the company can do for you or what our company can do for our clients absolutely you hit the nail on the head it's just being genuine not overstepping your bounds or overselling or you know i think a lot of times operating with integrity is the best way you can do it even if you get a client that you can't do something for but you can act as a resource for them and maybe put them in contact with somebody else even right. if it's a competitor in some cases they'll remember that they'll say wow i reached out to this company and they didn't they didn't know they knew what i needed but they knew they couldn't fill it and they put me in contact with with a company that could do it i think that that's the one i think that that's one of the best ways to build um build rapport and 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 build trust right based on you know really really being a person of your word and not overselling uh, absolutely so you want to come across as an expert problem solver in a specific area not really a salesperson right yeah you want to you want to be a resource you want to be a resource yes. to them yeah yeah okay so what what does uh, let's let's get back to sales what does a successful uh, prospecting initiative looks like to you tell me how you would settle on who to prospect how to approach them how to identify their position within the buying cycle and and how to offer them the most relevant information to solve their problem so a successful prospecting initiative i think i think before before you get into that i think you got to look at i think you really have to look at your client base and and identify you know who who is it that you're that you're targeting and as long as it's you know in line maybe you look at competitors for your top two or three clients you look at those competitors for them and you know you can talk to them between the marketing team the sales team you can pull a pull a campaign together and you know i think it it really really boils down to creating that list with clarity so you find the the companies that are similar to to your clients you find you identify those companies and then you do the research and that's where the marketing team comes in to to do the research to identify those contacts within those companies the competitors of your existing client build that list and you know you track it you track you see how much how much time and 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 money did it cost to put this campaign together and you look for your you look for your ROI you know you want to you want to be obviously generating the revenue off of it so you know i think when i look at a prospecting initiative it's pretty simple i look for how much business did we get out of it how many how many how many projects did we 
we get out of it? How much potential is there for future business? You know, so I think that that's, that's the first, I think that's the first part of your question with what a successful prospecting initiative looks like. As far as identifying their, I think you said something about the buying cycle, right? Identifying where they are. That's right. Yes. Their position in the, in the buying cycle. I guess it's understanding where, how, you know, you have to identify how often they use the services first, right? So if they're, if they're, if they're uh, the type of client that, you know, uses a service once a year, they're probably not the right person to talk to. But once you, once you dig down and, and find um, how often that person or that organization is buying, because a lot of times you can you can come across an organization that has that buys a lot of translation services or language services, but it's like fifteen different buyers depending on the project that they're working on internally. So yeah, I mean I think it's identifying how they've done done the work before. If they have work that needs to be translated, what have they done before? How how have they gone about that? Who have they worked with? What did they like about that? What did they not? What would they not want to see again? You know, so identifying the buying cycle, I guess you got to have to, you have to get their their timeframes and their you know is it a certain product launch that they that they need to make in six countries or twelve countries? You know, I think once you identify where they're at in the process with what they need, you can get a better idea of where they're at in the in the buying process and adjust your sales process to get to that point. That that makes sense so that um, you can offer the information that's like the best fit within the buying cycle at the time when they need it if they are ready to buy or they're um, you know just investigating and so on. Yeah. Right. Do you sell outside the U.S. market as well? Um, and if you do, what what do you find different in selling translation to uh, borders outside the U.S.? Uh, I mean, to clients outside the U.S. border. Well, payment for one is uh, could potentially be different. We don't sell uh, a whole lot outside the country. We do, however, we do, however, have a lot of clients that work internationally. So a lot of times, you know, the clients that we work with are typically U.S. based and they're working overseas. So the, the billing side of it is, is a little bit easier because it's U.S. US based billing. Um, so, you know, we actually we don't we don't do a whole we don't come across that too often. There's always a billing. There's all it's always U.S. based billing. Right, right. Okay. So with COVID and things moving online, we talked about that a little bit earlier. I feel like the internet is a bit overloaded, but how does that change things for you in terms of sales? Do you see that everyone is running around and trying to sell nowadays? That was, um, COVID has definitely had a huge impact in in the way we sell. I mean, we, we really made a huge effort to get in front of clients every opportunity we possibly could. So I imagine like the rest of the world have really, and it's a good thing that, you know, our sales team is very versatile and, and used to working with video tools like, you know, Zoom and Microsoft Teams and things like that. But yeah, it has made a big difference. So the way that we're, you know, we, we obviously we measure, you know, number of calls, number of meetings, you know, number of opportunities that are that are created. And it has definitely shifted as far as how we measure the meetings. It used to be very easy to measure meetings because, you know, if you're going on site and meeting with a client in person, it was it was very easy to measure that. But now it's you're measuring video calls. So that's made a huge impact on it. But at the same time, we've also seen availability become, you know, clients and prospects 
are more available now than they really ever have been because they're not spending so much time traveling or on planes. I mean, people are much more available. You can actually be a lot more productive these days because you're you're not really going anywhere. So you don't have the, the travel time, even though I happen to be in the car right now, but... <laughs> <laughs> You're not, you're not going too far, you know? So we've seen it's actually a little bit, in a sense, a little bit easier because you don't have to, you don't have to get directions. You don't have to navigate where you're going. It's just you send a link for a video call, and we've seen a lot more productivity out of the sales team than we have before, actually, over these past few months. And it's easier, you find, that uh, you can get people's attention now? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think so, yeah. I, I've definitely, it's definitely been easier to get a hold of people in the past couple of months. I mean, I think that COVID has, this whole thing started back in, I don't know, February, March, maybe the end of March. Uh, and the first couple months, it was like everything was completely shut down and people were just trying to get their bearings and and all those things and now yeah i mean now i think people are getting used to it and they've they've adapted to a new way of working and i think people have found a lot of efficiencies in the way that we're working now so yeah i've i've, I've seen that people are more available absolutely and more open to having those conversations and you can actually get that uh, get a very similar feel to an in-person meeting over video and rather than doing you know three meetings in a day all of a sudden you can do five meetings in a day or six meetings in a day because there's no travel time involved and it's become a lot more acceptable now to to do a proposition over video compared to in the past i'm guessing right right people were forced into it i guess it will it will be an acceptable norm going forward so i let's, think so let, uh, Francesca, let's talk about uh, sales strategy. In your organization, how do you develop a sales strategy and how often does it need to be updated and revisited? Sales strategy, it, um, it's, it's, it's one of those things that is, is constantly iterating. I, I think the, the, the overall strategy changes as we make progress on, on, on the campaigns and continue growing the, the number of clients. So I don't think it's much different than than any other industry per right. se. But developing developing that strategy, I mean I think is is really a matter of really digging into your existing client base and seeing which way which direction you want to go and which clients you want more of. So, you know, for us, I mean we look at our most profitable clients and we want to duplicate that. So you know, the sales and marketing team puts that puts that strategy together off of profitability. So the clients that are that are the most profitable, we just try to continually duplicate that. That makes sense. Now, who is involved in developing a sales strategy in, in your company and, and why? Do other departments get to have a, an input in that? Well, yeah. I mean, other departments do, do have a say in that up front. I mean, I think that that's where those feedback loops come into play. Um, it's primarily driven out of the sales and marketing organization within our company. Um, but there's a lot of feedback from other departments that goes into that as far as, you know, are you seeing any other, you know, you might see existing clients and are they seeing any other, any other type of work that could open up a new vertical for us? So we look at that on a quarterly basis and kind of just take, uh, we take notes and, some things we put on the back burner for the following year or the following quarter and 
some things we just we keep pushing forward with because you may find different different types of projects that you're not working with one client you may be working with one client on different types of translation projects like you know i don't know technical manuals which is you know more on the outside serving the client's client and then you may see some internal e-learning materials for instance so you may be doing technical manuals for one client and e-learning materials for another client and you may be able to just go at each of them and say hey you know for this other client we're we're doing a lot of these translation and technical manuals you can go at the other one and say hey you know we're doing a lot of the e-learning stuff for the for the other client so you know, you can kind of take the different types of projects within the same vertical and kind of cross-pollinate that. We that's where we that's where we gather the feedback from the operations team and kind of look at it and kind of build the strategy from there. So, it's it's very much an iterative process where we're constantly looking at our existing client base and and the types of projects we're doing for that existing client base and kind of growing it from there that, that makes sense francesco let's talk about how you keep your um, your fingers on the pulse how do you define your kpis and and measure them against your overall objectives in the company i'm i'm referring to sales team in particular here we measure the the number of calls the number of touches the number of contacts number of meetings you know I, i don't think that i don't think that we do anything that that nobody else does i don't think there's any magic magic there the more calls you make the more contacts you make that's what that's what kind of rolls into that that revenue number but we try to keep that extremely simple so within the sales organization they're they're keeping track of all the metrics at, at the end of the day i mean it's you know how much revenue is generated and are you meeting the goals so you know within that sales organization there's quite a few metrics that they're that they're keeping track of there's even more metrics in the marketing department with you know open rate and you know engagement and followers with social media and all those different metrics that that the marketing department's looking at there's there's there is quite a few quite a few metrics in there but how it how it plays into the overall company at the end of the day it's the it's the revenue that's generated from those activities. Uh, you mentioned some of them but do you measure things such as a uh, cost of client acquisition and so overall what do you do with all of this data that you've got, um, you've gathered over time? Yeah, we look at customer acquisition cost and we 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 take that and that's how we kind of develop the the next phase. I mean the the clients that we're going after. And 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 for a business function like sales to um to work smoothly it needs to be backed up by other functions like production and marketing we talked about harmonizing uh, and and creating that communication bridge between all of them how often do you meet and and how often do you do you create that understanding between these organizations uh, so so that they are always in touch with each other the feedback loops are happening on a daily basis at the the lower levels but we personally we do um a company wide meeting where every department shares different things that they're working on. So we have an all hands meeting every month uh where each department goes around and shares different aspects of what they're working on. The the, the all hands meeting is really where where there's a lot of information that's shared back and forth and and everybody within these different departments gets a much bigger view of what everybody else is working on. So a lot of that feedback comes you know they they get it in the in the all hands meeting every month but then on a day-to-day basis is when they're working back and forth collaborating 
So formally, it's it's once a month. Okay, I'm I'm guessing uh, you know they uh, all of these issues get stacked and discussed and and that uh, once a month uh, meeting, but things that are urgent gets discussed quickly and obviously can't wait for that long. Yeah, though that happens. That happens very quickly. I mean, if there's something that's that's urgent and and they have to they have to work together on that, that's something that gets tackled immediately. Okay, so now let's uh, speak in general. Please share some advice uh, at a personal level for entrepreneurs and language service company executives. What advice would you give them? Uh, the the advice that I would give is, you know, being very clear with what you want your company to turn into in the future. And if you're very clear with that, then you really need to think about what type of people are going to make that happen. What type of people are going to make that successful and putting as much energy as you possibly can into defining what the right people need to be doing and put a really good process in place to recruit the right people. There's a, there's a book that I'm sure you're uh, aware of uh, by Jim Collins called Good to Great. Yes. Getting the right people in the right seats is hands down the most important part of running a successful company. Absolutely. You do not want amateurs and, and people who may not have an intention of staying with you for a long time to run a serious department like sales. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, and, and investing in those people, the people that, that are good and you want to stay, invest in them and have open open dialogue with them um to say what to see what what can you do to help them improve what where do they want to be in two years three years and really throw yourself in that and and do everything you can to help people achieve their goals because everybody has goals Absolutely. everybody wants to get somewhere so you know really being fully invested in your people um and showing them that you're there for them putting your money where your mouth is with really truly doing everything you can to help them grow and develop and get to the level that they want to be. Understood. Now, um, as my last question to you, uh, please share some words about um, uh, your company and what makes it a great language service provider. Potential clients listening have a chance to, or you know, to listen to this interview and put things into context. Under your leadership, they must be able to see the value of the knowledge and expertise that you bring to the table. I'm guessing. Yeah, you know, I mean, we're um, we don't we don't have any any uh, necessarily specific specialization. We we're very very much solution oriented, and we rely really heavily on on the on the team and and the people to come up with unique solutions for how to service, you know, some of the, some of the more complex issues that, that come into play. We look at, we look at ourselves as, as the, the service, service company, like an all uh, one-stop shop. And we really, we really focus heavily on the consolidation of, of the, of the various services that are in the industry. Um, so we're, we're much more, we position ourselves much more as a partner to, to the prospects and to the clients um, that they can come to us and one call solves it all, basically. And we bring we bring our strategic partners in all the time whenever we need to um, to solve certain issues. So we're we're definitely problem solvers. Well, thank you for your time today, Francesco. Um, your answers, your questions that you answered today, um, all of this information, this, these insights, they're very valuable. I really enjoyed speaking with you, and I learned a lot. I'm sure uh, our listeners did too. 
I hope we can keep the door open for future conversations to discuss specific areas of uh, LSC sales and business development functions. You have an open invitation for the future episodes, and uh, I look forward to speaking with you soon. Awesome. Look forward to look forward to talking to you again as well. Thank you so much, Francisco. All right. Thank you, Sultan. As always, I review three products that are relevant and applicable to LSE businesses. Today, I am going to talk about three tools that I personally use for keeping my thoughts and information organized, and I suggest for other language service executives as well. The first tool that I use routinely for my notes is Microsoft OneNote. It comes bundled as part of the Office 365 suite, and besides offering downloadable desktop application, it has a mobile and web interface. I can categorize my notes in different notebooks. For example, I have a notebook for meetings, another for conferences, and another for general ideas. Each notebook can be sectioned and pages added to each section. You can add text, images, drawings, and even voice and video in your notes. A very handy application and it deserves a 10 out of 10 from me. Google Keep is the second application that I'm reviewing today. It is good for creating short notes and to-do lists with checkboxes. You can categorize your notes for whatever categories are relevant to you. For example, you can have a to-do list for work, another for your personal things, and another one for your hobbies. It is a great web-based application with mobile version that always stays in sync. I would also give this application 10 out of 10. The third on my list is Notes from Apple. If you're an Apple device user, you probably have used notes before it is a resident application on iphone ipad macbook and an icloud whatever notes you type into any of these devices it gets synced across all devices that are connected to your apple id it is a great tool to jot down ideas and have them available for quick retrieval i use it to write down quick notes from my conversations with people addresses and so on i will give this tool a 10 out of 10 as well there you have it folks i had a great conversation with francesco pagano the president of Interpreters and Translators Inc. I think he had some great insights and ideas about sales that he shared with us and I'm sure you found them very helpful. Make sure to like and rate our podcast. Give us five stars of course and and subscribe to the Translation Company talk show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts or your favorite platform and keep your constructive criticism and feedback coming to us. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode.